Well, good morning once again. My name is Marco, and I uh, get the privilege of serving as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. As Gabe just read, we're going to find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're looking at two short verses, verses 2 and 3. Uh, if you are new, it's a joy to have you here with us. It's an honor to have you. Uh, i got two quick things for you. If you need a Bible, we have those available uh, on the chairs and the Connect desk. Uh, and in addition to that, um, we'd love to connect with you because we really enjoy hanging out. And so fill out a Connect card and uh, someone will get back with you uh, quickly. And, uh, and we'd love to take you out, get lunch, and hang. Um, Once more, Hebrews chapter 12, we're looking at verses 2 and 3 this morning. The joy of Easter for the Christian is not simply believing the Lord Jesus, but knowing that the Lord Jesus is risen and alive. If you don't know this Christ, let me begin by saying who he is. That in the beginning, God spoke creation into existence, creating man and woman in his image. And then after being tempted to disbelieve God, Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. In covering them with his grace, he foreshadowed the coming of the one who would not fail like Adam did and who would redeem humanity out of their bondage to sin. The prophets of the Old Testament prophesied this Christ several hundred years before the birth of Jesus. And then, at this moment of redemptive history, God enters into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, to live the life that you and I cannot live and to die the death that you and I deserve to die in our place as our substitute. And through the redemption of his blood, he purchases sinners out of their bondage to sin and reconciles them to the Father, gifting us with the gift of saving faith that we cannot earn. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, hearts are not only transformed, but our lives are lived in light of our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. And one day the Lord Jesus will return in glory to judge the living and the dead and reclaim his bride, the church. As we observe Easter or Resurrection Sunday, I want you to know that this is not the only day in which we preach his resurrection. In fact, the entire point of the Sunday gathering would be fruitless apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church is the fruit of the resurrection. So today, we're going to talk about Jesus just like we do every Sunday, and we'll continue until his return. Here's what I want you to know. If you walk away with anything, I pray that you walk away with this. The sum and substance of the Christian life is Jesus. The sum and substance of the Christian life is Jesus. If you know Jesus, then my hope is that your eyes would stay fixed on him as you get to know him better. And if you don't know Jesus, my hope and prayer is that you would come to know him 
through the gift of salvation so that your heart would be transformed and your eyes would be fixed upon the glory and beauty of Christ. In our time, as we examine Hebrews 12, I want to talk about two things that are required for you and I as we follow Jesus. Concentration and consideration. We'll tell, I'll tell you more about that as we get into it. But first, let me pray, and then we'll dive into this text. Lord, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. His victory over sin and death. His victory where he put his enemies to shame. So Lord, we begin by thanking you for Jesus. As we examine your word this morning, Holy Spirit, would you lead us to love and know Christ more? And for those who don't know Christ, may they come to know him today. May you bring life into their heart through your word. And may our time spent in your word be sweeter than honey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at Hebrews 12, after Gabe just finished reading those two short verses, I want to give you a little bit of context about what's going on in the church at this time. This is the first century, and there is uh, an individual who is writing to them. And the entire letter of Hebrews is this one giant sermon. And what's happening right now is that these uh, Christians, these first century Christians, uh, are experiencing immense rejection and persecution because they have surrendered their life to Christ. And as they have surrendered their lives to Christ and as they have followed the Lord Jesus, they are beginning to grow weary. They are beginning to grow faint. See, at some point, sometimes rejection and persecution, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of things start happening and you start to feel weak. For them, families would even have funerals for them because they left the family religion and they would have funerals for them to suggest that they are dead to them. Many of you can relate to some of what's happening to the Hebrews. Many of you can relate to fear or rejection or opposition. You've experienced this as you have followed Jesus. And so our writer provides them with two encouragements as they follow Jesus, as they are growing weak and weary and faint. He provides them with two encouragements, concentration and consideration. And so let's look at verse 2. He opens by saying, looking to Jesus. I'm going to harp on that a lot. Looking to Jesus. This, that word looking, this is concentration centered around following Jesus. The language of this section and in other places in this letter is one of athletic discipline. That is, in competition and training, but in particular, in a race, you must know where you are going. You must see where you are going. How you concentrate and where you look is critical to your performance. 
Additionally, in this race that the writer of Hebrews is telling us about, you are not alone. You are not running it alone, but alongside Christian brothers and sisters. And the saints of the historic church, such as these individuals now, the saints of the historic church are now cheering you on from the stands as you run this race. You're in good company. Therefore, he opens by saying, looking to Jesus. Your eyes must be concentrated on the Lord Jesus as you are running this race that has been set before you. Your eyes must be fixed and enamored upon the Lord Jesus Christ seven days a week, 24-7, not just on Sundays, not just at Bible study, not just before you pray, or not when you pray before you eat that salad or when you go to bed. Your eyes must be fixed upon the Lord Jesus at all times. That is the intensity of this one word. Further, as we dive a little bit deeper and maybe get a little bit nerdy when it comes to this word looking, it is present tense. So it is not something that you simply think about. It is not something that you reflect on and consider, yeah, yeah, I'll do that later. When he says looking to Jesus, he's saying that's something we do now. It is present tense. Additionally, this word tells us something more than simply looking ahead. It actually means as you are looking away and looking towards someone or something else. So when the writer says, look to Jesus, he is telling you to turn away from whatever it is that is distracting you. He is telling you to look away from whatever is keeping you from concentrating. Look away and look toward Jesus. You must always be aware of the Lord Jesus with great concentration. The Apostle Paul says it this way to the Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Our concentration must be immense upon the Lord Jesus. Our eyes must be fixed upon the Lord Jesus at all times. And it begs the question, why? He tells us in this verse. The first reason as to why we ought to concentrate immensely upon the Lord Jesus is because Jesus is the founder of, of our faith. That is, the faith by which you live is not only a faith in Christ, it is a faith from Christ. Jesus Christ is the creator of saving faith. So if we're going to walk in Christ by faith, it is a faith that we need to understand that we did not construct it and we did not achieve it. It was one that was received. You see, previous to knowing Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were alienated from God and hostile toward God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, the opening verse. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. That word walked means that it was a lifestyle of yours, that it is a part of your identity, your character, your being. He's not simply being poetic. 
And he goes on to say that as we once walked in these sins, we exercised the flesh of the body. We exercised the desires of our mind and body and our passions and were, quote, by nature, children of wrath. But in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are made alive. We are reconciled to the Father, so we're no longer alienated. And the life that we live now is in Christ. Therefore, there is no hostility toward God because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So why should we concentrate immensely upon Jesus? Because he is the founder of our faith. Number two, he is the perfecter of our faith. The reason you can trust Jesus is because he is the perfecter of our faith. That is, the work that he began in you, he will see it to completion. To say that one could lose their salvation suggests that Christ is not the perfecter of the work he began in the individual. He will see it to completion. Jesus says it this way. Jesus says it this way in John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That word no one, that no one is able to snatch uh, uh, those who belong to Christ out of his hand, the, the, the Greek word for no one is this word, no one. <laughs> That's what it means. No one. I looked it up myself. Okay? Listen, we may trip and fall in this race, but we will never fall out of it. We will never fall out of it. Perseverance is a two-sided coin. As God works in us, we respond to his work in us and continue to move forward. You might say, well, what about individuals that maybe their faith has faded away and they have walked away from the faith? If Jesus says what, what Jesus says is true and individuals have faded away, then it wasn't saving faith to begin with. And a lot of people don't like that, so go read John. Number one, he is the founder of our faith. Number two, he is the perfecter of our faith. Number three, he is the example of our faith. See, not only did the Lord Jesus have a sinless life, but the writer says in this verse, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That is, Jesus had his own race to run. The Father sent the Lord Jesus on a very specific mission to seek and save the lost. And in doing so, the Son always kept his heart and will aligned with the Father's. And in doing so, the writer says that Jesus did this for the joy. 
The joy that was that the joy that Christ was looking toward was beyond the cross. He was looking at the joy of his resurrection. He was looking at the joy of glorifying the Father. He was looking at the joy of the redemption of his people. He was so focused knowing what he was about to endure. The Bible teaches that as he's making his way into being arrested, beaten, and ultimately crucified, the disciples couldn't even keep up with him. He was so focused, like like a racehorse. He was so focused, kind of like an athlete, who that's the goal, that's the finish line. He's going toward it. And the disciples couldn't even keep up. The cross was something that was horrific. It was something that was horrific. Jesus experiences not only uh, being arrested falsely, but he experiences six different trials. And then he gets beaten beyond recognition. And then he is hung on a cross, nailed to it in between two other criminals. He is hung as a criminal before the public, before his family, before his friends. The crucifixion was the electric chair of his day. And upon the cross, in our place, and as our substitute, Jesus bore the sins of the world, exchanging his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And then dies Three days later, rises and is victorious over sin, Satan, hell, demons, death, and the grave. And the writer says, that was a joy for him. When the writer concludes by saying, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that's present tense. For Jesus, in his race, he knew No cross meant no crown. So he was going to see his race finished. He was going to accomplish the mission that he was sent on. And when the writer says he is seated at the right hand of the throne, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne right now. We must actively be concentrating our eyes upon the Lord Jesus as we run this race. The hope we have in Christ is the resurrection. The church is the fruit of his resurrection. We cannot glorify God if we are preoccupied with our past or previous injuries, to use that metaphor. There's this little word in verses two and three. He says it in verse one also. He uses this little word called, uh, it says endure. We're gonna talk about that at the end. I haven't missed it. But to summarize this verse, we must have active, spirit-driven concentration as we fix our eyes upon Jesus. And so the writer continues. In verse 3, he begins by saying, consider him. Some translations begin with the word for, F-O-R. In other words, it would read for, consider him. That word for is not simply a transition, it is an explanation. So, for example, um, 
if we are to concentrate on the Lord Jesus, what the writer tells us in verse two, then the next verse tells us how we do that. That's what four does. It tells us how we do that. And so the, 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 the writer provides us with one piece of encouragement. Well, how do we concentrate our eyes on Jesus? He says, consider Jesus. You see, the meaning of the word consider in verse three is where we get the word logarithm. And so when he says for us to consider Christ, he means to think deeply about Jesus with precision, with accuracy, being strategic as we walk in Christ, specifically because we know Christ. See, a shallow and superficial faith will never consider God. And if we are to consider Jesus, then we must first know him, know his word, have intimate knowledge of who he is and what he has done and what the Spirit of God is doing in us and around us. To know him isn't simply to memorize scripture or to know stories about God, but knowing the story of God's redemptive purpose and how you, Christian, actually are folded into that story. To know him means to make him known. To know him means that he is above all. Listen to me. Whatever rules and reigns in your heart, that is your God. The heart is an idol factory. And if we're going to run this race, then our strength must be drawn by looking toward Jesus with immense concentration, but that is only possible as we consider him. And as we consider Jesus, what the writer is telling us is when we experience weariness, when we feel faint, look to Jesus. Consider him. We must consider the Lord Jesus daily. I mentioned that I wanted to come back to the word endure. He says it in verse 2, and then he says it once again in verse 3. And this word in these verses, uh, it's used several times, and it means to be steadfast as you encounter difficulty and hurt and opposition, and as you face pressure, you endure. And the best way to define, describe, or give you an analogy, uh, the best way that I know how, because I'm not very creative, the best way is there is an exercise called a stone carry where you carry a stone. Uh, it's not very difficult. Anyway, it's used by several strength athletes. I've used this analogy before. And in this exercise, when you're carrying the stone, one of the best and most effective ways to carry the stone is when you rest it in front of your diaphragm. And as that stone rests on your diaphragm, there's something that happens. It's harder and harder to breathe because it's pressing up against your diaphragm and it just so happens to be one of the most effective ways. Anyway, when you program this exercise, the idea is to program it for a length of time or a certain distance. And at some point, you're gonna drop the stone. But the reason we keep doing this exercise is so that we would get stronger, so that we would carry it longer or further. As you encounter, as you encounter difficulty, hurt, 
opposition, as you face pressure, like Christ, your role is to endure. And you're going to fall, and sometimes it's going to be really heavy, and it's going to be hard to breathe. And at one point, you will put the stone down. And that does not mean that that stone will never be picked up again. You will pick it up at another time, and you will sometimes go longer and farther than you did. So we must not be surprised when we encounter opposition, when we face pressure, when we engage difficulty. So the writer reminds us that the race Jesus ran on our behalf was one of endurance. In verse 2, he endured the shame of the cross. I mentioned this earlier, that he was hung on a cross, that he was murdered like a criminal, beaten beyond recognition, a crown of thorns put on his head, his beard was plucked, and then finally hung on a cross on something called a mercy seat, where as he hung on the cross, the body sinks into the cross, causing asphyxiation that at some point he would stop breathing. But the reason you sink into that position is that it makes it a slow, agonizing death. He endured the cross. In verse 2, he encourages to consider Christ because he endured hostility. That's not just from the cross. He endured hostility from the very beginning. At Christ's birth, Herod releases a decree saying, hey, I want you to slaughter to his army. I want you to slaughter every baby boy under the age of two. And Jesus' parents had to flee the country. As Jesus begins to say that he is the Messiah and he begins to uh, teach his disciples, he was constantly met with opposition. He was, uh, they tried to throw him off a cliff They tried to arrest him several times. His family eventually at some point rejects him. They think he's crazy. His friends desert him. All those he hung out with bailed on him. He endured hostility from the beginning. And he tells us, in this race that we are running, we must endure And that endurance is only possible as we concentrate and consider Jesus. You are not alone. I'm reminded of uh, uh, this missionary. His name is William Carey. He's known as the father of modern missions. He was a Baptist missionary um, and didn't have a great track record, I guess, by some people's standards. As a preacher, people said that he was shy and boring. He tried opening a school, and it didn't work out so well. He lost his daughter. His marriage wasn't uh, very good, and so at one point later on in his life, he decides to be a missionary to the people of Asia. And so he goes to Asia, and he preaches the gospel for about 41 years, I think, something like that, 41 years. And in that time, he goes on to say that he didn't even see a convert for the first seven or eight years. And at the end of his time, at the end of his ministry, he goes on to say, if Christ, give me, if Christ gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plot. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. 
To plod is to take slow, heavy steps as you accomplish what is set before you. This race is one that is not in vain. And that's the fruit of the resurrection. See, our faith is not in vain. Otherwise, Christ would still be in the tomb. Our Christ is alive. Otherwise, there would have been no resurrection. The church today, you are the fruit of the resurrection of Christ. The joy that was set before him was the redemption of his people. Therefore, as you run this race, Christian, concentrate and consider Jesus. So as we close, Christian, where are your eyes? Where is your mind? Is it on things that are above? What keeps you from concentrating? Is it sin that you need to confess today? Are there things that you need to address and or do differently? Confess your sin before the Lord, and he will meet you where you are with his grace. And as you repent, fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus today. And if you're not a Christian, again, so glad that you're here. It's an honor to have you. And my hope and prayer is that you would come to know the Lord Jesus today. That you would repent and turn from your sin and turn toward the Lord Jesus. I'm not promising you an easier life. I'm promising you a new one with a new heart. The Lord Jesus pardons every sinner who turns to him in repentance and faith. Church, the sum and substance of the Christian life is Jesus. Let's pray. Those of you who are going to be uh, getting in line for baptisms, you can, you, who I talked to all that, you guys can get set up, change, meet Nathaniel on my left, your right. He'll be over here. That'll happen. Everyone else, let me, let me go into that prayer. Lord, you are our shepherd, yet we still want. You promise us rest but we refuse to be still. You are our righteousness, but we look to our own works. You are with us, but yet we still fear and do not trust your promises of protection and cower at our enemies. Lord, forgive us. Cause us to embrace your goodness and mercy that we may truly believe that you will be with us all the days of our life. Holy Spirit, guide and strengthen us to concentrate on Jesus as we consider Jesus. And when we grow weary or faint, Holy Spirit, revive our souls with your word. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be accepting and pleasing to you this morning. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.